May I invite you now to grab a hold of a Bible, hopefully one you brought, or there should be one in the pew in front of you, and turn to the uh, third chapter of the book of Genesis. That's easy, easily found. Uh, first book in the Bible, chapter 3, and, and you follow as I read just a, um, a brief portion. I'm going to read just the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 3. It's a, it's a story that I'm sure that you've read numerous times before. And um, from this book, a book that is infallible, inspired, the very mind of God is black words on a white page. It reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, the words that I have just read you, these words, they endure forever. Last week after uh, the second service, um, I was walking back to my office through the lobby and, and a man stopped me and um, told me how he had enjoyed uh, my sermon. And, you know, of course, I love to hear that. But um, then he added, um, and besides, who doesn't love a good story? You know, it was about the man from, uh, of La Mancha, remember, that was... Who doesn't like a good story? You know, he, he's right, you know. Uh, I've tried to make that point before. I've tried to, um, I've tried to point out that the, the master storyteller was Jesus. You know, all of those things that we love, the parables, all those parables, those are, um, those are just stories. I, um, I have told you um, that so much of this book it's just a collection of stories. Um, a, a classic illustration is the book of Genesis. That is, it's one story right after the next, story after story after story. Um, and then, of course, a Christmas comes to us in story form. All over this church at this minute um, and, and in the next hour, teachers will be telling 
a story. A story about angels and wise men and shepherds and a city named Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph. Christmas is, um, is a story. This morning I have some more stories for you. Um, three of the stories will be taken from here. But I'd like to begin this morning by telling you a story that doesn't come from here. In fact, I think I first heard this story years ago, and I think it came from Steve Brown. Some of you may know the name Steve Brown, um, who's been on radio for just years, a couple of decades, really. But um, I think I first heard him tell it, and, and I want to say it's a true story, but I'm not sure of that, so don't bank on that. But he, here's the story. It's a story about a young couple who had two small children. The, um, the husband came home, comes home from work one evening, and he finds a note. And the note says something to this effect. Um, the kids are fine. They're at your mom's. But I'm done. I've had it. I'm out. Don't look for me. I'm finished. You can imagine um, that he was, at that point, inconsolable over in the face of such an enormous uh, rejection and um, sadness. I mean, I I don't know how much worse it could get than to uh, have your spouse walk out on you, uh, leaving only a note. So days go by, weeks nothing he hears nothing he only hears a deafening silence there's nothing she sends nothing not not another word so he decides that he will hire a private investigator to find her another 30 days goes by and um finally the phone rings and it's the private investigator and he says i found her She's living across the country in another state under an assumed name. But the husband was excited. He begins to write her, um, send her notes, cards, letters, small gifts. But still, nothing. No response from his wife and the mother of these two small kids. Finally, he comes to the conclusion that I'm going to have to go to her. So he arranges for child care and buys a plane ticket and heads out to where she is. Takes a taxi from the airport. Shows up at her front door. Knocks on the door and the door opens. And he says to her, Honey, I love you. Won't you please come home? She falls into his arms. They um, pack the few things that she has with her. And they they head home together. Months later, in a um, 
in a quiet moment, he, he asks her, he says, um, honey, um, why did you, why did you uh, never respond to any of my cards and my letters? And my, I mean, did, did you get them? Um, he said, I, I, don't, I didn't have the slightest idea what to expect when I showed up on your front door. I mean, did, 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 I, did I have them? I mean, did you get what I sent? And she said, um, yes, I got them. But then you came. And that melted my heart. You see, his coming... Changed everything. His coming um, melted a uh, hard heart into a soft one. Um, I think you would agree it's a pretty impressive husband, don't you think? Um, after all that he had tasted. But his uh, coming changes everything. Now, let me, let me add to that story three more stories, all of which come from here. Um, the first story is about Job. Now, you've heard of Job. That's a, um, it's a familiar story. Um, Job is the story about a man who has everything. Probably the wealthiest man in his region. Um, God allows Satan to strike him in such a way that he loses everything. He loses his possessions. He loses his family. He loses his health. Um, even his wife says to him, just curse God and die. Now, you know about that guy, Job. I mean, his name is proverbial. I mean, people say um, uh, he's as patient as Job. That's something that will never be said of me, um, but I, I digress. Um, but as the story unfolds, there are, Job has three friends, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. Remember those guys? And they show up. They show up to console him, um, their friend. But in the midst of their trying to do so, a, a giant conversation erupts between the four of them. Five of them, if you, five of them if you include Elihu. But this giant conversation erupts between the four of them, and they're, they're trying to figure this all out. Why did this happen? What must God be like? Uh, who is God? What provoked this situation? And so there's this back and forth for, gosh, you know, 30 chapters or so between Job and the three friends. And they end up angry at each other or Job's angry at the three of them, and the three of them are angry at Job, and, um, and, and they're, they're more confused after the conversation than when, they, when the conversation started. There's just speculation, anger, confusion, until the last four chapters. And you know what happens in those four. That's when God showed up. 
And when he did, the storyline of the, of, the, of the book shifts away from Job's pain and onto the incomparable greatness of God. Because you see, when he shows up, everything changes. All of the speculation, all of the confusion, all of that ceases. Because when God shows up, we shut up, just like Job did. And just when we think we've got him all figured out, we don't. And so he comes. And when he comes, everything changes. Here's the next story. This is about a man whose name is Hosea. Now, this story is not as well known as, as the story of Job. Hosea is one of those minor prophets. He's a, he's a prophet. And um, this prophet is told by God to go out and marry a woman who's a prostitute, and her name is Gomer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who would marry a woman by the name of Gomer is just asking for trouble. <laughs> but um, the, the story is not, not about her name. The story is about um, a husband who has an unfaithful wife. She goes from man to man. She ends up a slave. And if you know anything about the story, she finally is sold on an auction block and in the crowd of, of bidders is her husband, Hosea. Hosea finally offers the highest bid, buys his wife, and, and takes her home. But guys, the, um, the story is really not about, it's really not about Hosea and Gomer. The story is about God. And his bride. You see, um, Hosea is not the only one with an unfaithful spouse. God has a spouse, a bride, Israel. She was unfaithful too. It's just God using a marriage to illustrate. Um, to illustrate his own circumstance, this the story that is told in this book is in highly anthropomorphic language. That might be an unfamiliar word, anthropomorphic. It just means man-like language used to describe God. Anthropos, man, morphe, like, man-like language. The book is in anthropomorphic language, um, and it depicts the Lord pouring out his irrepressible love to the point that he cannot bring himself to renounce his bride. Though they so easily and so willingly and so gladly renounce him. At one point, 
God says this. How can I give you up? Guys, does that language sound a little bit odd to you? God is speaking, and he says, how, how can I give you up? By the way, I, I didn't make that up. It comes, it comes right here. God looks at his marital situation and says, how can I, how can I give you up? I cannot fathom divorcing you. Why? It's unthinkable. Even though that's what you deserve. And that's what you've earned. <clears throat> Pardon me. Then he goes on to say this. <clears throat> For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. Oh, but I will come. But when I come, I won't come in wrath. And when I come, everything will be put right between the two of us. Everything will change when I come. That brings me to my text, <clears throat> which is found, of course, in Genesis chapter 3. It's a, it's a fairly familiar story. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, you realize, I hope, that it is a story of cosmic treason. Treason in a cosmic level, at a cosmic level. Adam and Eve are put in a place where they have no needs. They don't have any health needs. They don't have any food needs. They don't have any housing needs. All of their needs are met. They are, there are no restrictions except one. There are hundreds of trees out there, but there's one that you are um, forbidden to eat of. So you know the story. I read it. Satan shows up and he fixes their attention on the one that they can't have. And then in the course of his, this conversation, Satan calls God a liar. And Adam and Eve, even though they are put in a garden where they have no needs, it's not like the environment was hostile to them. In this setting, they are deceived by Satan and they choose they choose to believe a lie over God. Defection brought on by a, a doubt of God's goodness. It is a complete moral revolt to his sovereignty, to his authority, and to the will of God. Two people made of dirt 
assault his divine majesty and repudiate any right that God may have over them to restrict them at all. Brought on because they doubted his goodness. They dispute his wisdom and thus they betray him. Preferring Satan. It is the clash of two sovereignties with God on the losing end. Now, guys, that's where we are at the end of verse 7. Genesis 3, 7. Um, We have two traitors hiding in the bushes, sowing fig leaves together, trying to find a remedy for their own guilt and shame. Now listen. Do you understand that the story could have stopped right there? Do you understand that? Do you understand that God could have gone back to heaven and been perfectly just and holy and good and righteous and kind? And never made another move. But here's what we are told in verse 8. He showed up. Uh, There was every reason in the world for him not to show up. You notice, don't you, that it was he who sought them, not the other way around. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole of redemptive history could have stopped at verse 7. we're told in verse 8 that he came. Gang, that brings us to the um, one final story. It's called the Christmas story. You know that one. Um, The Christmas story is a story that tells us that that he came when there was very little reason for him to do so and there were oh so many reasons for him not to do so and the only reason that could be found for him to come is the same thing that you find in the book of Hosea. How can I give them up?
You know what that's called. That's called love. Could, could I make this point one more time? All of redemptive history could have stopped at verse 7. You see, um, God's bride had left him too. He had sent numerous envoys to her, begging her to, to return, but she refused. And so he came. His, um, his people had no idea what he was like, and so he came. His, um, his bride had committed adultery. But he came anyway. Oh, but they're, they're, they're guilty of cosmic treason. Yes. But he came. And ladies and gentlemen, I would say to you that the best news of all of that is that when he came, you know, to Bethlehem in a manger in swaddling clothes, he came not in wrath, which is what we deserve, but he came, he came to save he came to save those who didn't deserve to be saved. But you see, as he said in the book of Hosea, he couldn't help himself. And so he comes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ to be found lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Ladies and gentlemen, the question is not why he came like that. The question is why he came at all. Guys, um, most of you, I, I would perhaps venture that all of you know John 3.16. Much of the world knows John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But here's my point. John 3.16 does not tell you who God loved. John 3.16 tells you what God loved. You want to know what he loved? He loved a world of traitors. He loved a world of adulterers. Guys, <clears throat> no story ever written is as shocking and as spellbinding as the one that tells us he came he came 
when there was every reason in the world for him not to. You know, I, I'm afraid that we are more impacted by the galactic thrillers of the last Jedi than we are the unimaginable reality that God came in the person and work of Jesus Christ to rescue a people running headlong into their adultery away from it. But here's, here's the message of Genesis 3. Here's the message of Hosea 11. Here's the message of the book of Job. Here's the message of the Christmas story. He came. And when he comes, everything changes. You know, perhaps Christmas has become only a story for us. Just another story among stories. Well, guys, let me tell you what's different about the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a story of deliverance. It's a story of deliverance from sin and death. Um, a death that we deserve. That death replaced with a deliverance that we didn't deserve. It's about a future. It's about a future beyond the confines of this life. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, all that's true. It's a story about deliverance. It's a story about life beyond this one. Yes. But fundamentally... It is just this simple. He came. Do you know what that's called? That's called grace. Do you know what you see in between verse 7 and verse 8 of Genesis 3? You see grace. Folks, when the angels um, broke out into song and they sang, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, they knew that this was more than just a story. They knew that it was good news, not just good advice. And they knew just how good the news was. The idea that this God of inflexible hatred of sin and whose eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity, the idea that he would show up is spellbinding. He came. He came when he didn't have to. And he came to save. 
guilty people, guilty of cosmic treason, traitors. And when he came, my heart was melted. And I followed him all the way home. Because when he came, everything changed. Our Father, I do pray that you will show us the the great joy of Christmas in simply realizing that you did not give up on us, that you did not um, abandon us when you perhaps should have and could have, that you refused to let your people go. And so we as the undeserving, uh, we glory in the gospel that tells us that you love to the degree that you entered into human history so that you could pay the price of the sin of your people. And once you had accomplished that, everything changed. And lady, and Father, when people get a glimpse of the enormity of this thing called grace, would you melt every heart in the room so that we can uh, get on with the business of following you and following you all the way home. Lord, we commit ourselves to that as individuals and as a church. Thank you for the glories of grace and how it has changed our lives. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.